0: TED Audio Collective.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to TED Health. This is Elise Hugh. Today we're sharing a segment from an episode of the TED Radio Hour on the biology of sex. If you enjoy it, dive into the whole episode and many others in the TED Radio Hour catalog, wherever you're listening to this. This show
0: is brought to you by Schwab. You're here because you like to keep a pulse on fitness trends. Well, now you can invest in what's trending in active lifestyle, healthy eating, wearable tech, and more with Schwab investing themes. It's an easy way to invest in ideas that you believe in. Schwab's research process uncovers emerging trends. Then their technology curates relevant stocks into themes. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy all the stocks in a theme as is, or customize to better fit your investing goals, all in a few clicks. Schwab Investing Themes is not intended to be investment advice or a recommendation of any stock or investment strategy. Learn more at schwab.com thematic investing.
2: Canva presents unexplained
1: appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Add a little curiosity into your routine with TED Talks Daily, the podcast that brings you a new TED Talk every weekday. In less than 15 minutes a day, you'll go beyond the headlines and learn about the big ideas shaping your future. Coming up, how AI will change the way we communicate, how to be a better leader, and more. Listen to TED Talks Daily wherever you get your podcasts.
2: It's the TED Radio Hour from NPR. I'm Manoush Zomorodi. And on the show today, the biology of sex – Because it's more complicated than just female or male, XX or XY. One
3: of the things that I was super surprised about was finding out the spectrum of biological sex. You know, we say X is female, Y is male. Or XX is female and XY is male. I mean, that's how we cheer someone if they're having a boy or if they're having a girl when they announce that they're pregnant.
2: People love those gender reveal parties. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is radio journalist Molly Webster. And
3: what I came to find out was that you can be a whole compilation of X's and Y's. So you can be XXY. You can be XYY. You can be XO. Hmm. I mean, it just goes on. And I was like, things that I thought were just like immutable
2: biological truths can be changed in some way. A lot of these kinds of questions came up for Molly while she was working on a series called Gonads. Episode 3, I'm Molly Webster. For the show Radiolab. You're
3: listening Listening. to Radiolab. When they found these chromosomes...
1: It was clear that if you had... XX. two X chromosomes, you would develop as a female. A girl. Anatomic female. And if you had a Y chromosome... So your XY... ...you would develop as an anatomic male. That's right. A boy. Um, that was the thinking. So you see, Roger and Susan are born.
3: That is not wrong, but I think what I became very fascinated in was all the ways in which there's so much more to the story than just egg and sperm maker, like in connection to X and Y.
2: Which then raised one really big question. Why do we have such a simplistic view of biological sex? It's a specific way of thinking about things from a certain moment in history that
3: we are potentially starting to rethink. I think it's helpful to see sort of the the history of how we understand sex in a longer time frame.
2: And that takes us to the turn of the 20th century, when scientists first discovered that the last, that 23rd pair of chromosomes, decides our sex.
3: For me, the true story of X and Y
2: starts with their name. Here's Molly Webster on the TED stage, along with some voices of scientists she taped while reporting on her series. So within
3: years of being discovered, these two little chromosomes had acquired more than 10 different names. There was diplosome and heterochromosome and idiochromosome, and most of the names had to do with their structure, their shape, their size... And then there was sex chromosome, which they had been given because of the fact that we had started seeing that the X would go with the females and the Y would often go with the males. But scientists were like, do we really want to call them sex chromosomes? And science historian Sarah Richardson is the one who told me this story.
4: For three decades, scientists were like, You should not call them the sex chromosomes. The X and Y uh, have many functions and, uh, you know, you wouldn't assume that a single chromosome controls a single trait. Imagine calling one chromosome the urogenital chromosome Uh or
3: (laughs) the liver chromosome. They ended up getting sex chromosome, but in the 100-year history since we settled on that name, you can see it starts to get a little complicated. X and Y, their discovery and our understanding of them are actually super foundational and crucial to the field of genetics. Mm -hmm. But even when that field was just very, very nascent, there was even a hesitation at that moment to assign a total identification of sex to these chromosomes. And there were warnings of like, sex is a really, really powerful word Mm -hmm. that has all these connotations and traits Uh, associated with it culturally, socially, and attaching that to something biological can be pretty sticky.
2: Yeah, and it's something we conflate a lot with gender, too, right?
3: Yeah. You know, there's gender, which is how we identify, and that's a personal identification on top of our physiology. And so when I'm talking about sex, I'm talking really about our biology and our physiology.
2: So, I'm feeling like a rising sense of foreboding here based on what you mentioned earlier about why the scientists were concerned about naming it the sex chromosomes. Hmm. Like, what were the implications of calling them sex chromosomes?
3: Yeah, there have been a number sort of at a scientific level and at a social and cultural level. So in my talk, I end up just stepping through a couple of moments that just jumped out at me while I was doing research. It's like, ooh, there's an implication. There's an mm-hmm. implication. And so my first stop was discovering XYY, which it becomes known as something called the super male. Wait, a super male? Yeah. So the theory goes, if At that time, or even today, if we're really believing that Y is male and X is female, then what quickly follows behind that belief is the idea that traits that we associate with males and traits that we associate with females could in some way be coded in our DNA. Huh. So a few years after they realized that you can be X, Y, Y, researchers go to a prison in Scotland and they do genetic analysis of a bunch of the male prisoners and they find a number of people who are X, Y, Y. And according to Sarah...
4: They just rushed to publish a theory suggesting that this extra Y chromosome could explain criminality in some men.
3: Yeah. So the logic goes like this. By this point, we're thinking, why is male? We think male is aggressive. So, why must be aggression? If you got an extra Y, you must be crazy. And, like, we went nuts with this theory. We called it the super male. They started scanning more prisoners, serial killers, um, boys. And, in all seriousness, there was actually a suggestion that we consider aborting XYY fetuses. So in 1980, this theory pretty much toppled for a number of reasons. One, there had been this really large study that basically showed there was no connection between Y and violence. Uh, And then there was one other thing.
4: Going back and looking at those original findings in that high-security psychiatric institution,
3: they had
4: also found um, a high number of individuals with an extra X chromosome. So these are XXY as opposed to XYY. Now, they never claimed that the individuals with an extra X chromosome were super females. They never investigated whether they had higher rates of violence.
3: Seems like kind of an oversight. I don't know. Uh, But I think it's interesting because... What you see is if you start looking at these chromosomes through the lens of sex, what naturally falls in place behind is we look at them through the lens of gender and the traits that we associate with gender. And while we don't believe in super males today, there is a very similar conversation that's still happening around inherent violence in boys and biology.
2: I think, you know, on the one hand, we're looking for reasons for behavior, back to your example of the criminals, you know, wouldn't it be nice to be like, oh, it's not their fault. They were born with this. It, it switches on a kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that would almost make people feel better in some ways. Um, and so I think all of us in the world are trying to understand, like, what assumptions am I, am I making these days based yeah. on old fashioned ways of thinking about what sex and gender are
3: it's it's an interesting question it's, it's so complicated because i think you know for me it's calling one part of the body sex that is potentially dangerous like mm. yes there's definite ways that biology influence behavior and yes i have two chromosomes that are linked Tightly in ways, to sex, but biology is so complicated that to say that it 's x and y or testosterone and estrogen or you know whether you have ovaries or testes that that specific thing is what 's causing behavior it 's like that thing is one thing of a thousand i 'd even say a million things that are happening in the body. That's trickling up and causing behavior. Mm. And so it's like recognizing how complex it is that it's never going to be one thing, you know?
2: But one thing that we all have to have is the X, right? Like,
3: Yeah. So one thing that I had never actually thought about until I talked to this scientist, Melissa Wilson in Arizona, is the fact that every human being on the planet has an X. Right. Like I had so, and again, you know, sometimes I wonder, maybe this is all just in Molly's brain, <laughs> but I think that other parts of the world and other people I've talked to think these same things. Yeah, it's <laughs> so tightly associated X with femaleness and Y with maleness. I'd overlooked the fact that everybody has an X and that you can't survive without an X. You have to have one. And so suddenly it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. If everyone has to have an X, like, what is that X doing? It can't just be sex, right? Of the almost 1,100 genes on the X chromosome, how many do you think have to do with sex and reproduction? Just like, get a number in your head. 4%. That means 96% of the rest of that chromosome is doing something that has nothing to do with your gonads. And I guess as all of these sort of some of them social stories, some of them scientific stories, some of these facts started to add up. I just thought, like, why are we calling these the sex chromosomes? Or if we are, like, maybe we all like that name, should we just allow ourselves to think about them a little more broadly? Because if we do, like, what insights would we gain as people, as scientists? And I just wondered if it wasn't a moment to rethink the biology Of X and Y, and at the very least, to remember like the footnotes of history, which is that the dude who came up with the phrase sex chromosome actually was like, Hey, everyone, just remember, this is just, and I quote, a form of shorthand. We should not take it literally.
2: It's fascinating. I mean, and it makes me think that we're in the midst as a society to having a nuanced understanding of gender, but. Where are we, do you think, in terms of having a nuanced sense of sex, biological sex?
3: I think we're still many steps away. You can see that society is in a very different place than I think than what's happening in some labs right now. And part Mm -hmm. of that has to do with the trickle-up effect. Like, it takes a long time for stuff to get into textbooks and to be taught in different ways. It also has to do with, you know, teachers don't have endless time to, like, get to all the nuance. And a lot of the science is new. And if it's not new, it takes a long time to take hold. And so it feels like an important moment just to start planting seeds in people's minds. Like, let's be open to this because... Even at the very beginning of this science, they were open to this.
2: That's Molly Webster. She's a radio journalist on the show Radiolab. Her series is called Gonads, and you can listen to her full talk at TED.com.
4: You're growing a business, and you can't afford to slow down.
0: Support for this show comes from Brooks. I've really gotten into running this year, so I have to tell you about the Ghost 16 from Brooks because this shoe is kind of a game changer. I found the cushioning to be next level comfortable. It's incredibly soft, yet surprisingly lightweight. It's literally comfortable every time my foot hits the pavement. The Ghost 16 from Brooks isn't just a shoe for me, it's a daily boost for my runs. Visit brooksrunning.com to learn more.